house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I just have one thing to say. Enjoy it while it lasts. I myself hate marriages. Gabby, please. Is everyone in your family start raving mad? I smile and I smile and smile. You're lying to all of us. I'm not really happy. This could have been a lot different. Yes, Michael, that could have been. Just forget it. Stop dreaming, Justine. What are we excited about? Tomorrow night. That's right. I'm afraid of that stupid thing. And it is not going to hit us. You promise? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that doesn't think Breckenmeyer is too short to be a bartender. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with the rogue planet lurking behind the sun in my universe, Chris File. Hello, Chris. I am the rogue planet, like, peeking around the corner, like that <laughs> shot from Mank of uh, Amanda Seyfried, like, peeking out of the inside of car. Like, here I am from around the sun. I imagine uh, except- that, like, if the if uh, a melancholia-type event happened in the current uh, landscape, that there would be, like, memes of the planet just sort of, like, peeking around a corner and just being like, yoo I'm here. Like... <laughs> Just like, guess who back in the house is <laughs> Melancholia? No, I'm pretty sure the timeline would just be a bunch of, like, retweets of some, like, article from a science magazine saying, like, yes, queen. Well, we'll talk about how uh, articles from scientists were treated in this movie and how it made me absolutely think of current events in a way I was not looking forward to. Um, Indeed. Already, already the prospect of watching Melancholia in my current state of mind, I was just like, oh, God, this is going to be bad. And we'll get into it for sure. <laughs> I'm sure we will. However, if I am a rogue planet coming to smash into our own, I am not Melancholia. I am Melancholia. Because every time I watch this movie, I remembered that clip of Tony or not Tony Gilroy, Dan Gilroy mispronouncing melancholy and Jake Gyllenhaal correcting him. <laughs> I so don't know if I ever saw time... that, did I? Oh my Maybe god, I, I, I will send it to you. Um, He's pronounced uh, it melancholy? Yeah. Many sides to Renee that haven't been shown on film. I know I, and I wanted the world to see them. Uh, soulful, spiritual. She has a touch of melancholy once in a while. It's melancholy. Oh, it's melancholy. I'm sorry. You guys get that word wrong. You're so good. Um, That is not the first time um, today. You know, it's like when you go... And Jake Gyllenhaal's like, it's melancholy. It's my greatest fear that I will be talking about something and then say something and pronounce it wrong and realize it's because I've never heard something pronounced out loud before. I've only ever seen it written. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, wait, that's. I'm trying to think of a specific example because it's happened to me before, and it's the worst. I absolutely can't stand it. You know how words are supposed to sound like the things that they are usually, and melancholia sounds way more fun and festive than what <laughs> what the actual thing is. 
Also, I watched what the Constitution means to me yesterday, and there was that whole she like keeps coming back to her great grandmother who died in a uh, institution of melancholia. So I was just like, ah, it's all mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about like planets aligning in terms of my cultural consumption yesterday. If only Heidi Shrek showed up in this movie. Oh my god, I would there fear for Heidi Shrek. I would say like, get out of there. <laughs> just get out of there, Heidi get Shrek. Out. Get out as as fast as possible. That's sort of how I was reacting to the horses. Anytime the horses showed up, normally I'm always just like any kind of animal in a Lars von Trier movie. I'm always just like, get away as fast as you can. Don't end up like that donkey in Mandalay or whatever. That uh, uh, what was it? Was that John C. Riley quit? John C. Riley quit Mandalay because they slaughtered a animal, and then it didn't even make it into the final movie. If the culture got their hands on. Manderley, which is absolutely a movie that does not have any cultural footprint whatsoever. No, it's true. Uh, They would uh, (laughs) eviscerate it into the ground. It's wild because Dogville is, by a large margin, large marge. uh, Be sure and tell them large marge sent (laughs) you. Oh my god, a large von Trier large marge uh, biopic would be... uh, the ultimate but anyway um god talk about him mistreating an actress (laughs) like whoever he got to play large marjorie would just be you know just psychological torture the entire time anyway dogville by a large margin is my uh favorite lars von trier movie it's the one i really love and the fact that there is a direct sequel to it that i Definitely saw, but remember none, nothing about, and it's terrible. Never talk like it's like the difference between one and the other is absolutely crazy. And it's not just Nicole Kidman. It's just like it feels like. Well, he planned a trilogy, right. of these very um, our towny type of movies, right. And Nicole dropped out after the first one, got replaced by Bryce Dallas Howard, right. Um, and he never made the third one. And I don't... Am I remembering this incorrectly? Not, didn't make another movie until Antichrist, which is just like, right. talk about a little, like, emerging on the scene with a, yoo He's made, since Breaking the Waves, he's made, or at least since... Um, I'm trying to think of, like, what the order of his uh, dogma films were. But he's made a lot fewer films than... I think he has. Like, I always feel like Von Trier is just like, oh, it's always he's always making a new movie. And it's like, yeah. it's really not true. He's gone through these long stretches without making films. Um, and there's a number of movies that, like, didn't really get released here stateside. Yeah. Um, and he made several movies, including Europa, which I don't think was a foreign language uh, nominee, but was submitted, maybe? I think that's I right. I think that's right. Because that was another can movie. Von Trier also uh, ends up on a list with um, Sufjan Stevens in terms of people who have planned lengthy uh, artistic series themed on America that didn't finish them. Right. So there's that. Uh, this film, Melancholia, is also part of a trilogy that he did complete. Although, actually, it's also, again, anytime Lars von Trier plans a trilogy, you know it's not going to turn out to be a trilogy, because this one ended up being four films, because it was his Depression trilogy, which was Antichrist, Melancholia, and then Nymphomaniac, which ended up being two films. So, mm-hmm. um, which I've never seen. 
They are fine. Um, yeah, I used to like uh, when I was like younger and uh, like discovering like cinema, movies, all whatever. Yeah. Lars von Trier was someone who I was kind of obsessed with because like. When I was like a budding cinephile was when Dancer in the Dark came out. Sure. And I like immediately saw Breaking the Waves after that. So I was like obsessed with this guy. Yeah. And uh it it has not aged well. Though like I mean the movies that are great of his, I think, are still great, but like of course he is someone who has a lot of the stories about him were already out there like the stuff between him and bjork yeah with the exception of some details like we knew that he treated her poorly is we bjork knew the he one treated nicole kidman poorly is bjork the one who like ran away into the forest rather than uh film a scene or something like that i feel like there was a story she, i th- i think there was a story that she like left the set at one point yeah uh, dogville nicole kidman is the one that like he and nicole went into the forest to like yell at each other that's and maybe get what it i'm all thinking out. about yeah right it was bjork who was started like chewing on her costumes because she was so out of sorts yeah well she's like she included that rumor um in there she's like because they someone had said that she ate a t-shirt she was so mad or like <laughs> wanted to cause a scene on the movie and she mentioned that when she uh made her statement a few years ago against Lars von Trier <laughs> she's like I never ate a shirt I don't know how someone can do that <laughs> well I, th- I I think the rumor was that she ate a shirt but I also heard that it was more that she was just like gnawing on her costume out of uh you know whatever anxiety that seems reasonable where so do you feel like there was a point in von trier's career where the sort of his personality began to make it too difficult to appreciate his movies or was it just that the movies started getting bad um because i hate antichrist Oh, I love Antichrist. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, like, Antichrist is its own uh, uh, beast, so to speak, of, like, that's just, it's just a lot. It's so, (laughs) I mean, like, for listeners who aren't familiar with this movie, it has, like, graphic sex scenes of, like, actual sexual intercourse. It has genital mutilation. It's very gory uh charlotte gainsburg drills a hole in willem dafoe's uh leg and then like puts a like weight through it so that he can't chase her. it's yeah. it's a lot um i i mean the interesting thing and i think this is uh, we'll get into all of it i think simultaneously like the time that lars von trier was perhaps the most palatable is also when it was like okay absolutely not we we're done with you it's this movie (laughs) yes i mean i think with the exception of of breaking the waves i think breaking the waves was his most in terms of palatable i think that's where the oscars were like "Ooh, fun new european thing like let's give this one a whirl and Actually, I love that you called that movie fun. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think the movie was fun, but I think, like in terms of Oscar voters, there were like a right. new, a bright new talent from a you know place that is not here. And yeah, that that definitely had the benefit of being like a new, like that 
veneer of newness because that's even I forgot this, but that's a, a Golden Globe Best Picture yes. nominee. I told, which is I absolutely remember crazy that. Crazy to me. Yes. But that was the famous sort of like 1996 um, indie wave where four out mm-hmm. of the five Best Picture nominees were uh, indie films and also that there was like Emily Watson was nominated for Best Actress and Sling Blade was nominated in uh, Best Actor and won Screenplay. And in general, it was part of this. Was it a Miramax film? Was Breaking the Waves Miramax? Uh, no. It was October? October ah. films. It was October films. That's what it was. Um, Rest in peace, October films. Yeah. But um, it was part of that, I mean, you know, no pun intended, wave of indie movies that year. And Lars von Trier was part of that. And then I think he made The Idiots after that, which I think was sort of like more, uh, was sort of kept on the other side of the ocean, right? Where it's just like, mm-hmm. that's making. And then Dancer in the Dark happened. And then again, the Golden Globes nominate Bjork for Dancer in the Dark. And the Oscars nominate that for, obviously, uh, Best Original Song, where she wore her rockin' swan dress that was great, and I'll hear... The finest gown ever worn exactly. to the Oscars. But but I think that was where... And I think that's when you started to get these stories about him being, you know, difficult and torturous, and um, and then people start looking at Breaking the Waves differently, and then people start looking at the way he treats his female characters differently, and then Dogville very much plays into that in Manderley, and you know, on and on and on. And so by the time Melancholia hits, he has this, like, massive reputation for treating his actresses poorly and then writing, essentially, just, like, new ways to torture his female leads on screen, right? And up until the point of, like, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character and Antichrist, like, mutilating herself with a pair of scissors, and it's awful to watch um and then so melancholia hits and it's the story of two sisters uh, experiencing the end of the world like the violent smashing of the earth uh end of the world and weirdly enough it's his kindest film to his lead act like lead female characters ever Mm-hmm. At least to That's this point, partly why I think it's the most I say it's the most palatable, like the one that feels like because it doesn't have the extremes of a Lars von Trier movie or it does in ways that are not like body breaking right. <laughs> that like this feels like it could have been the one that would have transcended on a larger scale for the Academy. But Yes. Then again, the movie also is what it is, and he also uh, had that disastrous can uh, press conference. Yes, claimed himself to be a Nazi at the can press conference for Can. Isn't he a little scamp? Isn't he quite the jokester? Our Lars von Trier. Um, we'll definitely get into that. Um, but I, it's it's interesting because it doesn't have. You're right. It doesn't have the like the normal von Trier markers in terms of content or sort of like what is happening on screen or what is being done to his characters Mm -hmm. but like this is an emotionally to me this is an emotionally torturous movie like i hate this movie i hated watching it no you hated this the first time i hated watching it the second time i think it's an undeniably well-made movie 
And I like, you know, I can recognize it in all sort of corners, but it to me is, and I thought this at the time and it has only become more sharpened now in light of current events. And I know that like, it's unfair to sort of tie someone's movie made 10 years ago, almost to current events, but it is still this attitude to me of like, your your depression is fully justified. Your anxieties are fully justified. Everything really is that terrible. The scientists can't save you. Earth is doomed. It's beyond saving. Nobody will miss it. When it's gone, you know, will you know, no one will mourn it. I was right to be depressed about all of this, and <laughs> I embrace sort of the end of the world in all its trappings, kind of a thing. And it feels it feels he feels very like edgelord in this more than normal very much just sort of like lol nothing matters kind of a thing that's interesting see i guess i don't see it quite that way because i feel like the whole end of the world type of thing is allegorical to what it feels like to actually experience depression and it's like the movie to me lies in the difference that the way these two sisters um, process the end of the world and like what it means to be a well-balanced person and what it means to be a depressed person, because a depressed person, you're going to expect that the worst is going to happen anyway. So when the worst is happening, like you can just process that more because that's what your expectation of the world is. Whereas like Charlotte Gainsbourg is the one who's actually having a hard time with this. And it like, I think the, what the movie is expressing is the difference between those two experiences with the world and isn't, I, I guess I don't really see anything that says the world is that bad because it's, I, uh, I mean, to, just, to be clear, allegorical is probably the wrong word, but that's. No, I think you're I right. I think you're right. And, and to be clear, I, I recognize that. Like, I don't think this film is literally about the planet. I do feel right. like, you know, the the end of the world as a metaphor for how it feels to be depressed. Like, yes, my whole thing is, and maybe this is me coming from somebody whose sort of depressive, anxious balance tilts far more towards the anxious, but it feels to me like somebody who's being like, I, because he's talked about how, you know, the Kirsten Dunst character in this movie uh, and her depression is a reflection of his own, and that's sort of how he brought that Same character with into the world. Um, it feels like he's saying, "My, you know, my this worldview that I have is not only like the correct one; it's it you for not having it." look like a fool you are the one who is foolish you are the one who will ultimately die crying <laughs> and i will be steeled i'll be uh, you know ant steelbreaker i will be steeled against the wickedness of this world and anything that can happen because i have sort of barricaded myself within this you know depression and you my silly anxious sister is gonna you know spend her final days looking terrified and like an idiot and i don't know (laughs) well i guess i what's keeping me from feeling that or getting that interpretation from the movie is 
just the like agony that Justine goes through beforehand because it doesn't feel like what what do I how do I want to say that uh, it doesn't feel like it her like worldview is right to me because he shows like how much pain she goes through and but like, she's ultimately that correct is not about a everything. good worthy pain right sure but she's right in the end she's right about everything she can see no. the future like she's she guessed the beans in the jar she knows that the planet is coming back and ultimately it's you know it's because she views the world as this way and you can say it's sort of like accidental but i don't think that's what the movie i think within the allegory of the movie i think it's saying that like you know she was right to feel this way this whole time she was justified to feel this way this whole time the world really is ending and to to what you're saying though there is a certain point like i haven't seen the house that jack built um his ugh. newest movie unfortunately like i have serial killer yeah um and it does feel like um with Von Trier uh, experiencing his movies anymore feels like we're complicit in his own destruction yes, um, by watching. Yes. So, I mean, maybe you're onto something there. I mean, um, I won't deny that, like, it is a beautifully made film and it is, like, incredibly haunting. And, it, like, I, it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't elicit this sort of reaction in me if I didn't, if it didn't, wasn't, you know, effective in what it's doing. But, man, I hate it. Right. I hate it so much. <laughs> Yeah, you. I I can understand that. Like, if you interpret it as like be depressed, do, like you are like right to not, uh, you know, try to work on your mental health. Um, I can understand uh, hating the movie. <laughs> um, we should do the plot description. Oh yes, we should definitely do the plot description. This is hi. By the way, we're talking about a movie where the world ends. <laughs> in case uh, the yeah. last five minutes made no sense to you. Well, this and <laughs> this was sort of my. Uh, I sort of dragged my feet on, on the prospect of doing this film. We've been talking about doing it for a while, and part of it was just sort of just like I don't know if I want to experience this, given you know gestures at everything uh, happening in the world right now, like. <laughs> It is one of the uh, movies that we get asked for a lot. It is. And, and with, you know, with good reason. And people love the Kirsten Dunst performance. I think this film really galvanized. It. For as much as, like, there was already a, you know, justice for Kirsten Dunst movement sort of in the ether, this movie really galvanized that, I think, for a lot of people. This is the movie I think most people, either this or Marie Antoinette, but I think this is probably the one most people feel like. If you feel like Kirsten Dunst should have an Oscar this is the one you feel like she should have an Oscar for. Right. But we'll get into that for sure. We're talking about Melancholia, uh, the 2011 film Melancholia, directed and written by Lars von Trier, starring Kirsten Dunst, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Kiefer Sutherland, Alexander Skarsgård, Charlotte Rampling, John Hurt, Stellan Skarsgård, and Brady Corbet, the uh, the imp of uh, of weirdo European <laughs> cinema who will not... really show up for one scene and just sort of Legit, do a like, thing. I remember when I saw Force Majeure mm-hmm. and he just shows up. I, like, I tweeted this semi recently um, about like what is the what's the or maybe this was on my letterboxd where it was just like what's the all time top five of Brady Corbet sort of w- randomly showing up in a European auteurs movie because he also does it in Clouds of Sils Maria and 
Definitely in this. He's in he's in Vox Lux. Or no, he he directs he directed Vox, Lux, Vox Lux. Right. But does he show up in that as well? I guess that no. doesn't count because that's his own movie anyway. Um but he like he'll do this. This is sort of his kind of thing. He always seems to me like uh he's just on vacation somewhere. He's sort of just like backpacking through whatever. <laughs> and he hears that like there's a Von Trier movie happening or something. And he just sort of wants I feel like it. he's probably just Beetlejuiced into existence <laughs> in every European production. Probably true. Uh, this premiered May 18th, 2011 at the Cannes Film Festival. There's definitely a lot to talk about about its reception at Cannes. It opened in the United States on November 11th, 2011, after I believe... Um, being uh going to vod first or some i think this is like early vod when it was a thing and they were testing it out because this wasn't ineligible no it was oscar in the way that like now it probably would have been well <laughs> not this year right. um but like i remember there was a time where um on my cable vod the way that cable vod used to run you would just sort of go to this you know, section for your VOD movies. And I remember that IFC had a whole section on your movie VOD and IFC would do while their stuff was in theaters, it would also be available on VOD. So I remember I watched, I was they able still to watch. do that. Do they still do that? Good for them. For, for the most part, like you can tell the movies that they're really like putting not to like sound shitty for them, but like you can tell the ones that they really are like pushing mm. because they won't do vod interesting um, at least not immediately like they might do it like two months later yeah like they're doing with the nest like wildlife which was theirs they didn't put on vod right, right away i feel like there was a time where it was everything but maybe i'm wrong i just remember being like oh if something's playing at ifc center i'll be able to watch it also on uh on vod at home which mm-hmm. you know double-edged sword there anyway chris would you like to take 60 seconds out of your day to describe the plot of Mr. Melancholia. Not a lot of plot, so sure. All right, one second. Let me get my timer ready. All right, one minute is on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. And start. All right, Kiki Dunst stars as Justine. She is getting married um, in this, like, giant estate that she lives in somewhere in Europe and she's getting married to Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, we find out through the night of her wedding that like everybody has been kind of pushing her to like get married, do this wedding that she doesn't really want to do. It's also like a business proposition as well. Uh, she uh, kind of stumbles through the night progressively is like getting more and more depressed despite how she's like presenting herself. Her mother played by Charlotte Rampling is an asshole um, and like doesn't want to be there and like hates everything and like makes her feel bad. Her father played by John Hurt sucks. Anyway, after the wedding like doesn't go off, she uh, ends up in a huge state of depression while uh, a new planet named Melancholy is going to crash into the earth and her sister Claire has to take care of her and then uh, basically Justine and Claire sit uh, in uh, a field and uh, planet smash Um, yeah time's up well done perfectly on time there's not a lot of plot to this I I have to be honest like you could get into the Kiefer Sutherland husband stuff like every time that Kiefer Sutherland shows up I'm like go away we don't need well the film also feels that way (laughs) Um, yeah uh, and he like offs himself before the planet can smash when you were still on the wedding 40 seconds into that description I got very nervous for you I was I was worried you weren't gonna make it but uh, I forgot that the back half of the movie is literally just like them sitting 
sitting around waiting for the earth to end and it it really kind of is there's like some stuff with the horses yep. but like it's mostly just biding time it is until the end of the world which like tonally makes like there there's a reason for it to feel so long and drawn yeah. out before this happens but yes my one qualm with the movie is like it just feels so long. Like yes. there's people that love this movie and like watch this movie a ton of times. And I'm like to a certain extent. And I realize this is probably one of the movies that there is a reason that it is boring at a certain point, but this movie is a little too boring for me. that wedding. <laughs> that wedding takes for fucking ever. And it's just, and it's again, it's just all you're sinking into. And I think this is the point of it. You're sinking into Justine's right. sort of mindset or whatever. But I did want to ask you, because you mentioned the Kiefer Sutherland character. And I know that, like, as I said before, it's not fair to sort of paste over what's happening in the world now on this movie. But what, and from your 2020 perspective, what did you think about the scenes and the sort of subplot where Claire, the Charlotte Gainsbourg character, keeps reading these websites that are telling her that the scientists are all wrong and that the planet that the the rogue planet melancholia is going to end up crashing into the earth and then Kiefer Sutherland as her husband as her husband is just like no don't read these crackpots on the internet trust the scientists trust the experts they're the ones who we should be listening to and ultimately she's right and he's wrong and and he's sort of the fool in this whole situation and how did well, that I mean, play to already, you these days? The movie has that like gorgeous ten minute prologue um, of these like various vignettes, and like it ends with us with a melancholia smashing into Earth. So it's like the movie's already built for you to know that it's going to happen. Yes. So it's like he seems like a fool the whole time. As far as it relates to current events, um, I felt it very deeply in those scenes, not just because uh, <laughs> Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg uh, Googling anything, I would watch that in any movie. <laughs> she fully does like a Google search um, and it's shot very dramatically and that was amazing. Um, but I also... Felt, I love um, You love a good Google search scored to Wagner. Like, that's really... You can't, it, yeah. can't get enough of that. We'll talk about Wagner. Yeah, um, she, <laughs> But uh, she's also, like, on these websites constantly. And I literally thought to myself watching it, I was like, this is me clicking on 538 every five fucking... <laughs> oh, I said all those parts towards the end where she keeps checking the little, like, wire circle thing to see if the planet has gotten bigger. I'm like, I literally was just like 2011's version of Doom Scrolling is yep. checking your little wire thing to see if Melancholy has gotten bigger. It's... Oh, God, it's there was so much that reminded me. It's like when you log in every 10 minutes uh, two weeks ago to uh, see if there were um, any health updates, shall we say? Yes. Yes. Um, If perhaps anyone has died. Um, It was very that very, very that. Also, can we talk about I was so satisfied. You see in one of her doom scrolling searches um, the whatever the orbit is for melancholia it does like a loop-de-loop before yes. planet smash happens yes and i was like that's a death drop melancholia <laughs> death Stop drops it. get the fuck out of here nope earth nope <laughs> wow what a stunt queen melancholia the original yeah. stunt queen <laughs> oh my god you're so insane that's so funny 
Um, I want to talk about, because you mentioned uh, Kiefer briefly, but I want to talk about how kind of great the supporting cast of this movie is for stuff that like ultimately does not matter to this movie. Like Charlotte Rampling's fantastic. John Hurt, I think is fantastic. And it's just like, I think this movie is why I kind of viewed Alexander Skarsgård as a doofus for the longest time, (laughs) because like the guy he's playing is not, not an idiot. Like, right. He's just so like he's again, but he he's a character like, the movie has contempt for. This movie has contempt for a lot of characters, and he's definitely one of them. Okay, one person you didn't mention in the cast lineup who both uh, the, every time I've seen this movie, I laugh my ass off at him is Udo Kier. Udo Kier talking as, about the the beans in the jar. Udo Kier as a gay wedding planner, like, it would be fully offensive, this, like, character of a gay man, if it was, like, played by anyone else other than uh, monotone, no-expression Udo Kier. He has, he gets, he's the wedding planner, he's pissed that the night's not going exactly to the way that he planned it, and he hates Justine, and he, at one point, says, he's like, I cannot look at her, and then he just, like, half-assedly puts his hand over his face, and it's so funny. Okay, so what's his whole deal? Because I know that this is an actor who, like, has appeared in a ton of Von Trier's films, and I think a lot of people who are into sort of corners of Euro movie stuff that I am not sort of have a, you know, feeling about Udo Kier, but I, like, I don't know many other movies that I've seen him in, so I don't quite know I mean, I like, it, talk about being Beetlejuiced into a European set. Like, I think, I think there must be some, like, the how there's arts funds and, like, uh, whatever in European countries because right. they actually care about art right. Um, right. and, you know, producing film. Uh, I feel like it, it is somewhere in European law or Scandinavian law that Udo Kier has to be in uh, conceivably every European movie. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's that. Yeah. So the wedding is sort of very interestingly populated, even though I do think it does sort of like tend to go on and on and on. Um, it's the longest night in recorded history. It's just, it's already well into the night when they show up to the wedding two hours late and it just sort of goes on from there. Charlotte Rampling scene is maybe the funniest part of this whole movie where she just sort of gets up, interrupts her ex-husband's toast, interrupts, uh, uh, John Hurt's toast. And then it's just like, relationships uh, disgust me marriage is a ridiculous concept <laughs> um i hate that both of my daughters have now entered into this uh claire who i thought had a good head on her shoulders really put together this ostentatious and ridiculous wedding and um enjoy it while it lasts like it's 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 first of all what is charlotte rampling wearing it's like a tie dye dress kind of <laughs> but it's also like it there is a I just noticed it this time. Her dress is an orb, like it looks like a tie dye circle in the middle of it, and the blue of oh, is she wearing the dress. melancholia? Is that what's going on? She's wearing melancholia. She she planet smashes the wedding. <laughs> she is the planet the that blue smashes into is the, the wedding. color blue of melancholia. Wow! Oh my, you're really hitting the symbolism here, Chris. I like that. I know. I know. So you really like this movie a lot. I do. Um. 
You I are not like, alone. Most most people really do. No, really I like feel like everybody likes this movie way more loudly than I do. So I I don't have like the uh, like voracious and like consumptive love for this movie that some people have. But I do really like the movie. Um, My love for this movie is mean, consumptive in that I keep coughing up blood into a handkerchief when I think about this movie. <laughs> you have to go on, Christian. Um. Uh, there was there was a uh, the new uh, uh, haunting of Bly Manor uh, series on Netflix. Uh, ult- there's ultimately a consumption uh, portion of that movie, and I always I was really thinking we haven't had like an actress has consumption movie in a long time. It's been a bit. We kind of need we one. We kind of do. It's true. It's true. I always think it's so funny that like how gendered that whole thing is. Where like you watch old timey movies, and when women have it, it's always consumption, and then when men have it, it's tuberculosis all of a sudden. And it's just because it sounds. <laughs> I think those like hard consonant sounds sound more muscular and tuberculosis rather than like consumption is so sibilant. And uh, I don't know. Let's unpack that. Let's unpack the gender. Consumption also sounds like accusatory, like it's something you did. Yes, or no? Consumption sounds like. Everything's gotten too much to bear, and I must lie down on my fainting couch. Whereas, like, tuberculosis sounds like you're having a fist fight with your lungs, and your lungs might be winning, but, like, you're really giving it to them. So, uh, yeah. So gender. Oh boy. What a world. What a world we live in. Can we talk about... Uh, I don't understand... I maybe don't understand math in general, but I don't understand the math of John Hurt... And Charlotte Rampling giving birth to Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. They're old. They would have had a baby at like 50. Yeah. Well, you can understand him because he sort of like comes across as like, you know, this somewhat of a cad. And he's yeah, got the... he comes across like Scandinavian Flava Flav. He shows up to the wedding with two women. Two women, and... both named Betty. But it seems like he just like calls all women Betty. So maybe that's like a yeah. thing of his. And... Yes, but so like you can see him as being sort of like an old man with a young wife having Kirsten Dunst, but just like Charlotte or Charlotte Rampling's not taking part in that whole thing. It also absolutely feels like the kind of family where Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gainsbourg would be half sisters rather than sisters, but like that's not the case in this at all. And part of that is just like they look absolutely nothing alike. Like casting those two as sisters, well, and is it would have been even more confusing if it wasn't Kirsten Dunst and it was. Penelope, Penelope Cruz, Cruz, who it was originally supposed to be. Yes. And also Olga Kurilenko was uh, considered for that role as well. So That would have made more sense. Yeah, with Charlotte Gainsbourg, yes. But yeah, yeah. Pen- and Charlotte Rampling. Penelope Cruz originally, um, I don't think it's that she brought this idea to Von Trier, but she had gone to Von Trier with a play called, I want to say, The Maids. And it was a play about sisters. And... I think that was, and she really wanted to work with Von Trier, and which is funny mm-hmm. because, like, after all, of, like I've heard everything from Bjork and Nicole, and now I really want to work with you. And it's sort of kind of a weird, like, post Tom and Nicole thing where it's just like Nicole couldn't do it, but maybe I can make this work um, <laughs> after uh, uh, taking over Tom for Nicole for a while. Um, but then she left the film because it conflicted with her schedule to make Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. And listen, I know it's fun to make a movie with your husband. I'm pretty sure she and Javier were married by then. Um, or wait, is Javier not in that one and he's in the next one? Are they in, in the next They're one. in adjacent consecutive Pirates movies, but not the one together. 
Well, then I don't know why Penelope the hell Cruz, she's Pirates of the Caribbean. Penelope Cruz leaving this movie to go do Pirates of the Caribbean 4 is just like, you know, I like money. Um, well, she likes like, money and she I, probably yeah. had a better time making that than she would have making a Lars von Trier movie. So maybe. But then again, she was the well, one who approached also him. a Rob Marshall movie. Well, so like Rob Marshall is conceivably her friend. They've worked together before. Right. Her Oscar nomination for Nine that I still find so uh, unnecessary. She'll be waiting there with her legs open. She's she not says. bad in that movie. I just find a nomination for that, that movie Oscar so clip? unnecessary. I don't know. I the feel pro- like her Oscar clip for that movie was ridiculous. I think it was the I'll be waiting for you with my legs open. The problem with trying to remember Oscar clips is that when they, sh- then they show up on YouTube, they've taken the clips out because of rights reasons, which I find Stupid. infuriating. Like Even when it's like the official Oscar channel on YouTube won't be able to include the clips. and It's extra dumb on the years where the clips are like 10 seconds long. Well, and it's just it's also extra dumb because it's just sort of like the the films are providing the clips for the Oscars anyway, so they've already given their permission. The fact that the permission is so limited to like one time the night of the Oscars is stupid in a way that like a lot of rights sort of uh, conversations are stupid. But the other thing is, if the whole point of having a copyright on a film is that you don't want it a to be used out of context, which I get, or B, to um, sort of ruin whatever experience people might have with the movie. Like, none of that pertains to a 10-second clip of a film from the Academy Awards. And if nothing else, it's extra fucking advertising for people to go back and, like, watch your movie, uh, you know, and however many mm-hmm. years later. It just makes no sense. It's It's... Oh, it's infuriating. Uh, I shouldn't talk <laughs> it about it. It is very stupid. My stomach acid's already churning. I can't get into a conversation about clip rights and the Oscars. <laughs> about rights issues. I can't do it. Rights issues are also because, like, we were talking about this last week when we did 54, but, like, it ha- rights issues has to be the reason we don't have behind the music, right? Yes. Because they use so many songs. Yes, absolutely. It's got to be. Stupid. Very stupid. Rights issues are why we don't any if you ever think of why isn't X show available, it's always because of music rights. It's almost always because of music rights. Yeah. It's yeah. That was the problem with early seasons of drag race for a while. Yeah. Make your contracts in perpetuity. Make your contracts to reflect the fact that we can sh- will end up showing this on whatever weird microchip in our brain will exist in, you know, twenty years or whatever. And listen, cover your bases. Von Trier really galaxy brained it because he's like, I don't have to worry about rights issues for Wagner. It's in the public domain. <laughs> okay, so the all of the music in this movie is Wagner from Tristan and Isolde. Uh, yes. So yes. yes. So it all sounds incredibly, as you might imagine, um, dramatic and cataclysmic, which fits the film very well. Um, but it is also what ended up leading Von Trier to the doorstep of his own uh, banishment from the Cannes Film Festival, and ultimately the fact that this movie was a non-starter in anything beyond Critics' Awards when it came to the award season this year. Because he Mm -hmm. got up there at Cannes, and he's at a press conference, and they were asking him about using Wagner, and of course Wagner's sort of relationship to german culture is let's say fraught um in terms of uh anti-semitism anti-semitism and the nazis and and the whole history of all of that and instead of either a 
deflecting or B, giving a politic answer. Like giving a politic answer is would probably make Von Trier break out in hives. Like it might just make his like mouth dry up and swell up and he need an EpiPen or something like that to deal with the fact that yeah. he was being uh, <laughs> cautious. Sincerity in his answer. would uh, melt him into the floor, Margaret Hamilton style. Right. So instead he decides to be, again, um, edgelord, lolcat, whatever, decides to talk about how, oh, well, Hitler had some good ideas and I'm probably a Nazi. And it's just like, A, ha ha ha, funny joke. B, um, now can is just like, you leave now. <laughs> Please yeah. get out of here. And they, I mean, they literally banished him. And yeah. uh, until uh, the first can't movie to play can after this of his, the Nymphomaniacs didn't go to can. Um, How's the Jack Belt did, played, though, right? Yeah, but it was out of competition. Right. Yeah, yeah, can it was like three hours long, and they scheduled it as a midnight movie. Here's the thing: fun, the House that Jack built is not a good movie, and I've seen most of it probably twice because it's on Showtime all the fucking time, like really? all the time. And so I'll be like flipping channels because, of course, I still have cable. Um, I'll be flipping channels, and I'll just like come across it, and I'll just be like, "What? Whatever." And I'll just sort of just like maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was, and it's just like it's not like it's going to scar your mind like like you know there's some gross shit there's some really like disturbing shit in that movie but it's mostly just like it's so and i hate to use the word pretentious but it's so pretentious about um i'm gonna find meaning within yet another fucking misogynistic serial killer of you know from everything that I read about it, it was either, like I mentioned earlier, like watching it would feel like we are complicit in his self-destruction. Yeah. And it also just read a lot like it's a troll. Like he's yeah. like daring you to call him pretentious. He's like trying to get you to call him a misogynist mm-hmm. so that he can tell you you're wrong. Like, But the other thing oh about boy. his his movies, and this again, it's the Woody Allen thing of people are still lining up to fucking work with them. Like, it's still Uma Thurman and Riley Keough and Matt Dillon and Jeremy I mean, Davies. the work of his that I love, like, I'm, I'm, I am one of those people. Like, I'm always kind of curious about him because he made Breaking the Waves. He made, um, I'm really curious to see, I mean, I don't really want to watch it knowing, like, what Bjork has said about behind the scenes. But Dancer in the Dark, I'm curious about how that would play. So here's... Even outside of that, because, like, it felt so revolutionary just the way that he filmed it. But also, at the time, like, you could interpret the movie for what it's doing because musicals didn't exist then. And, like... So here's my thing. I mean, it came at the exact time before musicals came back, but, like... I've n- I just don't know if that's going to pl- register I, today. I've never seen Dancer in the Dark, which is like you probably don't want. To. It's probably like my my most like it's the oversight that makes the least sense though because there is a Bjork musical out there and I should like I absolutely should want watch it and I want to. But every time 
I talk about it. It's all just like, it's so devastating. It will absolutely wreck you or whatever. And it's one of those things where like once you reach, once you pass a certain line where it's just like, well, now it's not a movie from this year. So I don't, you know, need to watch it to incorporate it in my like conversations about this year. And I'm not really like watching it for any kind of thing that I'm writing or a project. So then it becomes if I'm just watching it for pleasure, which I should and I would like to. I can never find a time where I have put myself in a space where I'm ready to watch it, where I always feel like three hours because of everything that I've heard. It's like, it's super long. It requires my full attention. So it's just like, well, I can't watch it in the daytime because there'll be a glare on my television and I can't watch it while like anything else (laughs) is going to distract me. And I need three hours. And then I also need to be in like an emotional space where I can handle this. And it's a lot of requirements to watch a movie like that. It's the thing of melancholia where we're talking about that, like for huge stretches of the movie, it's just kind of boring. And that is the point. But like for Dancer in the Dark, it's the same effect, but with emotional brutality. Right. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot. Yeah. Um, but again, it's another film that fe- it's a Lars von Trier film that features a great performance by an actress, and I think that is a through line yeah. that is probably for as much as like you know the um, the sadism of his movies and whatever, and the the depression that sort of flows through these movies the. I think the best through line to view through which to view the Von Trier movies is that they have such great lead actress performances, starting with Emily Watson, Oscar nominee for Breaking the Waves, Bjork and Dancer in the Dark. I think Kidman is great in Dogville. Like I just, I think that whole cast is, but I think Kidman just like fucking rules in that movie. Um, Manderley is an outlier in whatever i don't blame bryce dallas howard like bryce dallas howard was not equipped to deal with that movie and i don't hold that against her really like dogville is so um complex it feels like the maybe only i mean you can disagree with me here it feels like maybe the only lars von trier movie where he is not explicitly telling you what to think and feel about certain things because dogville has until the very layers uh, maybe yeah but uh, still like how you're interpreting that and how it relates back to american culture and american violence um and like american uh, i guess if you want to call it xenophobia and class yeah like i think there's a lot of complex layers there where like we can agree that it's great but we also get different messages from the movie i think that's right and i don't think he has that anywhere else in his which is funny because dogville formally is his most sort of controlling film where Mm -hmm. everything you know it's on a soundstage and there are chalk outlines for things like hedges and fences and whatnot and everything is so artificial and is so sort of meticulously controlled and yet that's it is interesting that that's the movie that leads itself open to the most uh thematic interpretation of mm-hmm. of what's going on um Gainsbourg is in both antichrist and this i think and nymphomaniac actually so she mm-hmm. got um yeah. a ton of praise for all of those i think most 
I think the most like singular praise she got was for Antichrist because I think she's pretty amazing in all of them. Yeah, but I think when Melancholia comes around, that's Kirsten's movie. And then she gets, she wins the prize at Cannes. Kirsten Dunst wins the Best Actress Prize at Cannes. She wins the Best Actress Prize with the National Society of Film Critics, which also names Melancholia its best movie of the year. And the thing with the National Society is they're the most daring of the major sort of critics groups, but they come so, so late in the game that they have absolutely no hope of influencing anything. Well, and some of their choices do often feel like they're trying to influence someone back into the conversation. And like, the, it's. But it's always so after the fact of just like, it, it's. I don't know. To me, it's always just like, well, great and thank you. But it's like, it's. It all almost, almost always feels like an epilogue to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and it's also, um, I don't want to say reactionary, but like they tend to, unless it's like the unanimous choice in a year, they'll try to um, be responsive to other critics groups and like mention somebody that's not getting mentioned. Right. But that's not necessarily true for Kirsten Dunst. She wasn't not, she was like getting second and third places. That's the thing. That's what I was going to mention. Right. New York Films Critics Circle uh, names inexplicably well, the New York Film Critics Circle that year was like, I don't know what was going on because the artist got picture and director. And I don't hate the artist, but like, it's weird that that's a critic's pick for So best weird of that year. that movie steamrolled. Um, Streep wins for The Iron Lady at New York Film Critics Circle, which is inexplicable. Psycho. I don't understand it. Even from like, I thought, like, I thought you people were contrarians. Like, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't get it. Their runners up were Michelle Williams for My Week with Marilyn, which I also kind of don't get. But like, I understand that hell? some people like that film and performance better than i do and then kirsten was a runner-up there so then the los angeles film critics association this was during their run of completely making especially best actress choices that were absolutely off of the chessboard of what was going on they selected yoon jung hee from poetry which was incredible performance great performance great like selection we love that kind of stuff and then kirsten was the runner-up there as well national board of review this is the thing in researching all the this best actress year that i forgot tilda swinton won national board of review she was nominated for the globe the sag and the bafta like it's wild that she didn't get that oscar nomination we yeah. will absolutely do uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin sometime. We Need to Talk About We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, but, like, I... Okay, I feel like you and I were on the same page about that movie where it's like, okay, everybody's going to nominate her, but the Oscars are absolutely not going to do it. And everybody was so shocked, and that not happening was not shocking to me. <laughs> I think I was a little shocked. I, I mean, maybe not, like, I think it, once it happened... I think it was explicable to me where it's just like, yeah, that subject matter or whatever. But it's not like Rooney Mara getting nominated for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was any more like that's a film with like some really dark and violent subject matter, too. I guess it's presented in a more like, you know, triumphant way, rock and roll like and it's a, you know. It's not just the subject matter of we need to talk about Kevin. It's it's the movie itself. Um, well, yeah, we'll 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 handle that. Who when else we were our best actress nominees? This is uh, Meryl wins for the Iron Lady, Viola Davis for the Help, uh, the aforementioned Michelle Williams in My Week with Marilyn, 
Um, Rooney for said Rooney Mara. Who's the fifth that I'm forgetting? Oh, it's your favorite. It's your favorite actress. I'm being oh, sarcastic. No. Oh God, it's Albert Nobbs. No, it is Glenn Close for Albert Nobbs. Yeah, th- I'm gonna watch Albert Nobbs soon. I'm gonna finally watch that. I think Albert Nobbs is the most recent Best Actress nominee that I haven't seen. Oh, that's and interesting. It's just been sitting there. Wait, so you've never me. seen it? That's wild. Okay, I haven't. So Glenn Close gets the Globe nomination. Globe Globe drama is Streep, Glenn Close, Viola Davis, Rooney Mara, and then, as I said, Tilda Swinton. Comedy that year at the Globes is kind of wild. Michelle Williams wins for My Week with Marilyn, which is neither a musical nor a comedy. Like, I, it's, it's, of all the... There's, like, a musical sequence. It's insane. She beats out, um, and I hate doing the, like, oh, like, Globes nominate comedies that aren't comedies, but, like, Jodie Foster and Kate Winslet for Carnage in, like, a film that, like, I guess is absurdly comedic and like in a very arch kind of way but um yeah charlie's i mean the play i laughed my ass off (laughs) sure but again there i think there's such a a way that like plays can be funny in a way that films aren't and i think so much of it i've talked about this is the the release of being in the room when this happens but like a very archly comedic play does it has a hard time translating as comedy in a film but anyway we got to talk about, we'll do Carnage at some point. We'll just, we'll gloss over Roman, the Roman Polanski of it all and talk about the yeah. actors. Cause that's the movie was directed by no one. Yes. Uh, an actual comedic performance there. Kirsten, Kristen Wiig. I almost called her Kirsten. This is the, this is havoc for Kristen's and Kirsten's this week's episode. Um, Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids. And then my personal winner that year, Charlize Theron in Young Adults. Who best performance of the decade was never involved in the Oscar conversation beyond will she get a Globe nomination and it's insane. Um, SAG that year was Meryl, Viola, Glenn, Michelle Williams, and Tilda. So Rooney Mara was not involved in that. BAFTA was Streep. Uh, oh, and Viola won the SAG that year for the help. That was when that was uh-huh. sort of when we all sort of had the thought that maybe she'll win the Oscar, and then it didn't happen. And then BAFTA Streep won. She beat Viola. Michelle Williams, Tilda Swinton, and then they had bumped Berenice Bejo up to lead for that movie for uh, for the artist uh-huh. for the Baftas, which I don't fully understand. But. God, the 2011 Oscars suck. Michelle Williams that year, and again, I don't want to shit. I I love Michelle Williams. It's not my favorite performance of hers, and it's not my favorite movie. It's wild to me that the two prizes she won that year were Globe Comedy and Indie Spirit. The two two awards that like make no sense within the context of what's going on in that movie. Like it does not feel particularly like uh, daring of a movie. Like I get that like technically it counts as an indie, but like it's what Weinstein Company, right? Yeah. And okay, now I got to pull up who she was nominated against. I've got it. If you want me to read it off to you. Okay. Well, what's this lineup? Because that is unwell. Well, it's a it's a lineup that is very like bifurcated between like they were taking some real reaches, which is what I appreciate the spirits for. I love when they do. That. Lauren Ambrose for a movie called About Sunny, which I've never seen nor heard of. And Rachel Harris for a movie called Natural Selection, which ditto. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, these are probably, you know, f- movies that played festivals and, you know, the voters really like that. And, like, that's awesome. I like when they, even when it's stuff that is so off the beaten path that I'm just, like, I never feel like the indie spirits are wasting nominations with that stuff. Because at least it's bringing stuff 
to my attention and maybe more people will see it. And I like that. Um, the two who I think should have been in contention for the win are Elizabeth Olsen for Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which if you Amazing. recall, that movie happened the very year after winter's bone. And like the connecting mm-hmm. tissue there is John Hawks. John Hawks has a great supporting performance in John both Hawks of in the movies. woods. Um, and then, so when Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene plays at Sundance, which is, which winter's bone did, and got these great reviews. And I remember, and it was like breakthrough Elizabeth Olsen, you know, you didn't know there was a third Olsen sister and here she is and she's great. And I remember thinking, well, the, you know, just like paper over everything, the trajectory of Winter's Bone. Let's just do this again with Martha Marcy May Marlene. It's a young director. Very He's very exciting. Kind of movie, it is a very different kind of a movie, and I didn't really account for that. But I was just like, well, clearly Elizabeth Olsen is going to recur throughout award season and get the breakthrough Oscar nomination. It's going to be a thing. And to the point where I was just like, is John Hawks just going to get another supporting actor nomination? Because he's, he should have. He's so he's great in that. He's amazing in that it. whole cast. That's wait. Is Brady Corbet in that movie? Because it feels like the kind. He absolutely okay, is. That's what I thought. I was like, because it feels like the kind of a movie that he would just show up in, right? Okay. Um, yeah, he he got uh, somebody said Brady Corbet three times into a mirror, <laughs> yes. and he came back to the states. And um, then the fifth nominee that year at the Spirits is, of course, Meryl Streep approved Adepero Oduye from what about Pariah. Uh, from What About Pariah. Uh, which again, fantastic movie. Uh, again, D. Reese breakthrough film and. She Adipera would have been have an been incredibly worthy winner. Yeah. So either Adipero or Elizabeth Olsen, which I think should have would have been a not only a better winner for the spirits, but also a more indie spirits kind of a winner. Like both of those feel like the kinds of movies that the indie spirits should be going towards, rather than a Weinstein Company movie about Marilyn Monroe starring, you know, Michelle Williams. And again, that no indie shade. spirit gave best feature to the artist. It's so weird. Blows. It's so weird. Blows. I always have to feel like whenever I like go down this path, and I have to remind people that like I don't think the artist is a bad movie, and I and I do feel like it's kind of a little cool that like a black and white silent whatever a movie that was like so uh, stylistically determined, you know, in that way, like. It's not nothing that that won, but it's also baffling to me that so many people. John Chardin is really good. In sure, it, but I just it's a, it's always a little baffling to me that it did as well as it did, and that it was like premiered at Cannes and everybody was just like, "This is the thing." And I was just like, "Wait a second! Like, when did we decide this?" Anyway. Yeah, like as soon as it showed up at Cannes, it's like, "Well, here's the Best Picture nominee," and I was like, "What in the hell?" Yeah. Speaking of production companies, though, this was not a uh, Weinstein Company film. It was distributed in the United States by Tiny Little Magnolia Pictures, which um, is it Magnolia Pictures or Magnolia Films? I think it's Pictures. Yes. Um, as again, Inside Baseball, nobody likes to talk about this, but whatever, uh, or whatever, nobody needs to hear about this. But as uh, critics and film writer people we get at the end of the year screeners and the one thing back when especially when like dvd screeners were sort of like easing out of the dvd screeners era and into um streaming screeners which i don't like as much but whatever um i'm a whore for physical media but what magnolia would do is magnolia by the way co-owned by mark cuban who owns the dallas mavericks nba basketball team and is sometimes on shark tank and always rides the line between like I mean, there are no good billionaires, but, like, 
rides the line between like is he eccentric enough to maybe like do some good things in the world and one of those things is magnolia pictures he makes you know indie movie distributor anyway what they'll do the planet magnolia yeah exactly we're gonna crash into the planet sister wife of the planet melancholia Magnolia. yes so what magnolia would do is and they would be like the first out of the gate is like at some point in november a big ass package would show up at your door and it would be just like 20 dvds in like tiny little like little sleeves all brandished with the usually the first one to show up always almost always the first one to show up and it's like 16 movies you've barely heard of and then like four that are actually not like barely heard of but like that like really won't have any kind of a prayer within like award season and then like maybe like three or four that will and but it's just like it's this bounty of films and it's the first ones you get so you're willing to take more chances with like watching them because you don't have a whole lot mm-hmm. of competition at that time it was always i always thought it was especially a, the docs i always thought it was a great strategy yeah they had some great docs over the years they mm-hmm. uh one of the better um documentary film studios uh back in the day but it's it's one of those distributors that Beyond that particular quirk of theirs, sending out the screeners, they've never really had as much of a personality as like an A24 or even like an Annapurna or, you know, something like that, like within the indie world, right? Mm -hmm. But they've had some really like fantastic movies. And so as I am prone to do, Chris, I made a game for you. Spectacular. Where the films are, all of the answers in this will be... um, magnolia pictures sorry i got a little distracted because i'm looking through their list and i saw remember when we talked about prime uh and i said everybody go watch ira and abby which is the jennifer westfeld movie magnolia movie uh that is a magnolia movie so good for us it is not part of this game however okay so um all of the answers to this will be magnolia films back when we did i want to say it was seven years in tibet I did a game where you would guess, you would choose uh, at the beginning whether you want five keywords, the tagline, or the, uh, at that point, I think I said second build actress. This time we're going to do keywords, tagline, or the third build performer. And uh, I will say that some of these films, not all of these films have taglines. So in that case, I'll just like tell you to pick something else. But um, all of these films will be from Magnolia movies from 2010 to 2018. I'll give you the year and then you can tell me whether you want keywords, tagline or third build performer. Spectacular. So we're going to go we're going to go backwards in time. So we're going to start with 2018. This is a film from 2018. Would you like the keywords, the tagline or the third build performer? Uh, keywords. Okay, five keywords. They are sexy waitress, attempted burglary, job interview, female friendship, and drinking on a rooftop. (laughs) Oh, it's uh, Support the Girls. Support the Girls. We love this movie. Janelle, we are a mainstream bar and grill. That's right. Love that, love that scene so much. Yes, the third build performer in Support the Girls is James Legros. Oh, wouldn't have gotten that. Would not have gotten that. No, he is uh, he's sandwiched between uh, the girls that we are supporting in that movie. Uh, no tagline for Support the Girls, unfortunately, which is too bad because I feel like it could have had a really good you one. You don't need one. Regina Hall is on the poster. That's all you need to get your ass in a seat. It's true. Um, Listeners, if you haven't watched Support the Girls, uh, stop listening to this podcast right now. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. I'm pretty sure you can watch it on Hulu right now. But uh, 
check it out. Yes. Okay. Next one is 2017. Okay. Um, 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 a tagline. This doesn't have a tagline. So pick keywords or the third. third build. Oh, okay. Third build performer. The third build performer is Dominic West. <laughs> who you have previously mentioned that you have face, face blindness to. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, in 2017, uh, what was this actor who I don't remember ever um, doing? Uh, can I get the keywords? Sure. They are modern art, Stockholm, Sweden, hypocrisy, falling downstairs, and man jumps onto a table. Is it the square? It's the square didn't remember that he was in the movie he and uh our friend lizzie moss both in that movie yeah yeah um yes that was i believe that was the best uh, foreign language film winner at the oscars that year was it no it didn't win i think it was it, it was definitely put forward that's the palm door winner of that year mm, yes 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 very I good love the square i didn't love that movie and it wasn't for me no i uh, i i was sort of i think i liked it more than i didn't like it um but it gave me a lot to ponder. I think that was one of those movies that I saw that they screened for me before TIFF started back in uh, back in New York. Mm. Um, yes, nominee for foreign language film, but not a winner. Okay, next one is from 2016. Keywords, tagline, or third bill performer? Uh, third bill performer. All right, this one I think you're going to get it. Third bill performer in this is Paulina Garcia. Is it Little Men? It's Little Men. One of the oh. best movies of that year. Of a God, very good damn, year. That movie's so good. It's so we great. We love Iris Sachs. Uh, the keywords in that Paulina one. Paulina Garcia is amazing. Paulina Garcia fucking rocks in that movie. She should have been nominated for an Oscar for that. She's so great. Absolutely. Keywords in that one were gentrification, teenage dance, landlord-tenant relationship, reference to the LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts, and, of course, (laughs) acting class. That fantastic scene in the acting class. It's so good. How long have you been doing this exercise? 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 I'm not playing with you. I'm not playing with you. You know, you make me make mistakes in my own exercise. You know, you make me make mistakes in my own exercise. You make me make mistakes in my own exercise. You make me make mistakes in my own exercise. I make you make mistakes in your own exercise. I make you make mistakes in your own exercise. I make you make mistakes in your own exercise. I make you make mistakes in your own exercise. I make this exercise the way I like it. I make the exercise the way I like it. I make the exercise the way I like it. I make the exercise the way I like it. I like the exercise. I like the exercise. I love the exercise. I love this exercise. I love this exercise. I love this exercise. I love this exercise. Exercise. I don't want to do any other exercise. I don't want to do any other exercise. I don't want to do another exercise. I don't want to do another exercise. I never want to do another exercise. I never want to do another exercise. You have a terrible attitude. You got a terrible attitude. You have a terrible attitude. You um. Terrible all right. Next one. 2015. Okay. Would you like the keywords, the tagline, or the third build performer? Tagline. Okay. Uh, the tagline for this is illusion sets the stage deception reveals the truth what the hell I will say it's not a very helpful tagline no <laughs> it could be anything it could be nothing um, third build performer third build performer is Jim Gaffigan uh, okay um, oh boy uh, I don't know. Um, keywords. All right. The keywords are human behavior, year 1961, 
Talking to the Camera, Yale University, and Electric Shock. What? I don't... What? Human Behavior, The Year 1961, Talking to the Camera, Yale University, and Electric Shock. I really don't think I know what this is. All right, I'll give you the second build performer is Winona Ryder. In a movie with Jim Gaffigan. Cool. Um, I'm willing to bet you haven't seen this movie. Okay. I'm pretty sure I saw this movie with Griffin Newman, past guest Griffin Newman, that we saw. Uh, it was still hanging around in theaters. This is Experimenter, the... Uh, the Peter Sarsgaard oh, movie, Sarsgaard. Experimenter, about the um, didn't see the movie. the The electroshock experiments where the people kept giving these people they couldn't see electric shocks. Yes, uh, human behavior. All right, how do we get that job? <laughs> <laughs> uh, twenty fifteen again, another twenty fifteen movie. Okay. Keywords, uh, tagline, or third build performer. Let's let's try this same route again and see if I have better luck. Uh, tagline. The tagline for this is love at any cost. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, third build performer. Third build performer is Reese Ifans. <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay. The, the, um, the keywords. Though. Keywords I think are going to give it to you. They are bribery, baby in danger, Smoky Mountains, Murder Disguised as Hunting Accident, and <gasps> Timber Business. <laughs> it's Serena. It is Serena. Shout out to our very early episode, Serena. <laughs> yes. Love at any cost, Serena. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 2014. Okay. Um, well, let's let's just do third build performer on this one. All right. Third build performer is Clara Wettergen. Wettergren. I am I am not doing so well. Um okay, keywords. Keywords are marital strife, psychology, screaming man, cowardice, and ski resort. Force majeure. This is force majeure. And I'm going to take a quick uh detour off of force majeure because I need to tell you the other keywords like keywords Is I, Brady Corbett an actual keyword? No. Um so all this stuff on IMDb is uh, user-submitted, right? So yeah. plot keywords being no different. And some fucking men's rights organization got to no. the force majeure plot keywords because I want you to listen to – it goes on forever. Passive-aggressive woman, emotionally abusive wife, wife matronizes husband, emotionally abusive woman, mentally unstable woman, emotionally unstable wife, wife embarrasses husband, selfish woman, paranoid woman, egocentric wife. Um, uh, This is exactly why IMDb shut down their comment threads. Martyrous syndrome. Like, what the fuck is martyrous syndrome? Selfish wife, unfaithful wife, sexist woman. Um... Uh, bu- bu- Doesn't bu- bu- exist. Bu- like it's in- it goes on for absolutely ever. Just every possible uh, different t- permutation of <laughs> this bitch embarrassed Some her husband. Some neckbeard got pissed watching Force Majeure and went hog wild on the. And um, how telling is it? Forward. How telling is it that like 
It's 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 the you mad of movies, right? Where it's just like if this is triggering you, it says so much more about you than it does about the movie. But like, <laughs> if, if our our listeners, I haven't even reached the end of the tip of the iceberg about the keywords of force majeure. Go check it out. It is stunning in its um bald faced revelation of the insecurities of certain men is the keywords to that movie i will say it is a whole thing i was shocked anyway next film is also 2014 okay third build third build is scoot mcnary oh scoot mcnary is a good actor um uh Problem with Scoot McNary, cannot tell you all of the movies he's been in. <laughs> right. Uh, so I will say uh, keywords. Keywords are musician, mask, attempted suicide, stabbed in the leg, and one word title. Oh, is it Frank? It's Frank. It's our good friend Why Frank. Why is he third build? I think it's because Fassbender gets an and credit. It, it is because Fassbender gets an and credit. Exactly. It's Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Scoot McNary, and Michael Fassbender. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Frank, we've talked about that a bunch of times. The tagline for that one, I think, might have uh, helped you out after Scoot. It was, on May 9th, take off the mask. Oh. It's weird that an indie movie is including its release date in a tagline because, like, Indie movies get platformed. Just like it's just weird that like nobody's <laughs> hanging on the the release date of an indie movie except for nerds like us. Okay, anyway. 2014 again. Okay. Um 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 let's just do the keywords on this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Get ready for keywords. Oral sex, anal sex, loveless sex, sex standing up, and Fibonacci sequence. My Friday night. Um <laughs> What? I will say them again. Oral sex, anal sex, loveless sex, sex standing up, and Fibonacci sequence. Um, uh, okay. Uh, 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 who's the third build? I think you'll get it from this. The third build performer is Shia LaBeouf. Ooh. Put them together. Put them together with those keywords. With, uh... A Fibonacci sequence? Mm, put them to boot knocking. Yeah. Uh, Maybe concentrate on the boot knocking. All the sex. Lots of sex. Sex, sex, sex. Shia LaBeouf. Oh, Nymphomaniac. It's Nymphomaniac. I was going to say, we've talked about it. <laughs> we've talked about it in this episode. It is Nymphomaniac. Yes. Utterly shocking that Brady Corbett is not a nymphomaniac. The keywords, I would also suggest that our listeners go and check out the keywords to nymphomaniac because it is a laundry list of stuff to try on your weekend. Okay. Uh, 2013, this next one. Okay. Uh, third bill performer. Third bill performer is Anna Kendrick. Um, okay. Um, keywords. All right. The keywords to this are infidelity, male-female friendship, Love Quadrangle, Brewery, and Skinny Dipping. Drinking Buddies. Drinking Buddies. Yes, indeed. Drinking Buddies. I kind of like that movie. Uh, Jake Johnson and Olivia Wilde. Yeah. And Ron Livingston rounding out the Love Quadrangle. All right. Next one is also 2013. Okay. Keywords, tagline, Um, or third build performer. Let's do a tagline. This doesn't have one. So how about keywords or third build performer? <laughs> third build performer. Rachel McAdams. Oh. Um, um, uh, I almost said passion, but she's definitely first build. Um, yeah. 
Rachel McAdams was in in 2013. Um, oh, is it um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Most Dangerous Man? It's not, but that's a good guess. I'll give you the keywords. The keywords are dysfunctional marriage, priest, very little dialogue, herd of bison, and hay. Huh? What was the last one? Did you say hay? I said hay. As in horses eat hay. Indeed, indeed. Bison, priests. Very uh, little dialogue and dysfunctional marriage. Rachel McAdams' third build. And it would have been a Magnolia movie. Yeah. I believe it's the only movie of from this director that was a Magnolia movie. Oh, so this is like a famous director? Yes. A famous director who had a very good year the same year as Melancholia. Oh. 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 Is this uh, Terrence Malick? It is Terrence Malick. Care to guess I would have thought film? he would have gotten a bigger distributor for that movie. I would have thought, too. No shade to Magnolia. What's but... the film? What is the movie? Uh, to the Wonder. It's To the Wonder. Yes. See, it, the keyword is hay. If it had been wheat. Well, I, I couldn't. F- wheat was not a keyword, so I wanted to have the closest approximation to wheat, so I put in <laughs> hay. Um, Please sound drop Sam Wheat into this. Sam Wheat? Also, shout out to um, Matt Patches on the Fighting in the War Room podcast, who ever since they were talking about this movie, and he mentioned the title to The Wonder, and he said, to the wonder, to the wall. And it's the only way I've been able to think of the title of that movie since then. So truly... Um, <laughs> that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It's that's stuck with me ever since. I didn't know that that happened. God bless you, Matt um, Patches. You wow, beautiful bastard. Okay, uh, twenty twelve. Uh, uh, third build actor. Third build performer is Luke Kirby. Oh, is this Take This Waltz? It's the wonderful Take This Waltz. Incredible movie. The keywords always take this wall. Uh, the keywords to this are infidelity, shaving legs, alcoholism, rickshaw, and carnival ride. I watched yeah. the trailer to this while I was uh, researching this game, and I almost stopped everything that I was doing and put on the movie because I need to watch it again soon. It's so good. And this so, is us giving an advertisement to Magnolia Pictures. It is, but movies, whatever. But like, if you didn't have to stop this episode to go watch, uh, support the girls, please stop this episode and go watch Take This Waltz. It's and it was so divisive that year. Do you remember how divisive it was? Like because people hated it. Sexism. Like right, she's a she's a difficult character who leaves her schlubby husband. You imagine if the men's rights activists. Uh, no, I'm kind not, of surprised gonna, that they didn't put that out there. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, all the men's rights activists who listen to ta- or to listen to this had Oscar buzz. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, you! You get out of here. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm Mariel Streep, and you get out of here. Okay, uh, 2010. Okay, uh, third build. Frank Langella. Ooh. Well, it's not Robot and Frank. Um, it's not Robot and Frank. It's also not The Trial of Chicago 7, where Frank Langella plays uh, Judge Richard terrible. Nixon. It's It's great. I love it. It's a good movie. Langella's maybe the worst performer in it, but like he's like... Oh, he's bad. He's he playing bad his Richard Nixon from Frost Nixon in, as that judge, and it's great. I love it. Um, okay, Frank Langella. I, that's not going to get me there. Um, 
uh, 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 keywords. Keywords are missing woman, dysfunctional marriage, health food store, domineering father, and fictional character based on real life person. Okay. Um, is there a tagline? There is. The perfect love story until it became the perfect crime. Hmm. I... I don't know. I would focus on missing woman and fictional character based on real-life person. And it's a crime movie. There's also a very direct connection to the film we're talking about this week. Oh. Oh. I mean, direct connection to this movie. It can't be Von Trier. It is not Um, Von Trier. Is it a Kirsten Dunn? Oh, it's um, 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 all good things. It's all good things. Yes. The, uh, the. Killed them all. Barely veiled Robert Durst story. Yeah. This also made me want to go watch the Jinx again, actually, after, uh, uh, watching. Killed them all, of course. Exactly. Um, you sound way too much like him. And unsettling all right last one is also 2010 <laughs> oh okay so one more um 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 e, uh, that i i just need to throw something out there so um third build actor third build actor is eduardo gabrellini fantastic so uh keywords keywords are sexually dissatisfied wife speaking with a russian accent prawns hematoma and older woman younger man relationship I am love. I am love. Tilda Swinton, I am love. Did you get it by speaking with Russian accent? Yes. Okay. Yes. Famously learned how to speak Italian in a Russian dialect. She's uh, she's out of her mind and we love her for it. Yes. I like this game. I feel like we should play this game more. It's fun. We'll, we'll, find, we'll find excuses to uh, play this game again. All right. Maybe I'll trick you in it in one of our coming episodes or something. We got to talk about Ms. Dunst. We haven't really talked about her that much. Yeah. I think that she's... One of the reasons people have wanted us to do this movie. She makes such, like, fascinating choices that, like, those people, like, the Justice for Kirsten Dunst people are, I fear, going to be on that soapbox for a while. Because she doesn't necessarily make the type of choices that are, like, oscar fodder really. well and she and also like, even isn't being offered leading lady roles in films anymore right like her role in uh hidden figures yep. was like it it kind of bums you out that it's like that's right. a, a major actress right. and she's in this nothing role her career is fascinating. I want to sort of run it down briefly just because this this movie, Melancholia, comes at a real interesting point in her career. Which it's kind of a comeback role for her, right? Where mm-hmm. um, Interview with a Vampire is her big breakthrough, Golden Globe nomination. I know she had been in some stuff before that, but like Interview with a Vampire is where nominated. it happened. Yes, she's fantastic in that. She has some like good like young kid roles. She's in Jumanji. She's in Small Soldiers. She's in Wag the Dog in a very sort of funny little role. And then 
levels up in 99 she's 99 is such a great year for her she does drop dead gorgeous dick and the virgin suicides wait virgin suicides doesn't get released until 2000 but like 99 i think it plays a festival or something like that right 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 um and then 2000 it's bring it on so like 99 2000 is like where kirsten dunst goes from being like talented young actor all this potential and then like all that potential hits the screen in four very different movies in 2000 like that's Mm -hmm. the other thing is what she's doing in virgin suicides is so different than what she's doing in drop dead gorgeous is so different than bring it on even like even though those are two comedies like she's doing real different things in both of those and that's so different than what she's doing in dick and it's so it had, like we're used to that kind of versatility from much older performers. I feel like to see that mm-hmm. kind of versatility in somebody that young was incredibly exciting back then. I think also that level of like comedic versatility, because even though those are like body, like semi campy comedies, like her performances in Bring It On, Dick, Drop Dead Gorgeous are all very different. Yes. Yeah, it's a very different kind of comedy she's giving you. And then in the midst of all that to do The Virgin Suicides, where she's this sort of unknowable, uh, ideal kind of a person. And then even within that context, she gives you something that's, of course, her first collaboration with Sofia Coppola, which would end up, you know, bearing fruit later on for her as well. Um, and then immediately after that, like, four-movie run, she starts to do interesting different things right she's in the cat's meow in 2001 got a little bit of oscar buzz for that i'm pretty sure um and then crazy beautiful which um is a movie that i feel like nobody really talks about anymore and it's not that remarkable but it was sort of in that it was a not great movie that she got incredible reviews for she got incredible reviews and it was part of this i feel like kind of run of movies i always connect this movie with that drew barrymore movie mad love Mm-hmm. And it felt like we have these really enigmatic, talented, young, pretty blonde actresses, and we don't know what to do with them. So we'll just make them give give them a movie where it's like a romance that is tinged by madness, and and that'll or be alcoholism, right? That'll be the hook for that movie. Okay, so then two thousand two, obviously, she gets the role as Mary Jane Watson in Spider Man and Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies. She's in all three of those films. And then it feels like while she's doing these big sort of blockbuster swings with Spider-Man, she's making really interesting movies that don't all pan out. Where like Eternal Sunshine, she takes a supporting role. She's phenomenal in that movie. Yeah, like, she's amazing. She really grounds the end of that movie in like the that movie is Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's romance, right? But like Dunst especially at the end of that movie really grounds like what else is going on with like the lacuna stuff in which had been sort of mm-hmm. like silly and sort of fantastical and she really like lands the emotion of like what's going on i don't know that. if that movie doesn't work without her being as great as she is in that i role. agree i absolutely like agree. I, think I think the movie falls apart without that character i think that's very true she's so underrated in that film um, she makes the romantic comedy Wimbledon with Paul Bettany, which doesn't work, but I always respect the swing, no pun intended, of just trying to do a very meat and potatoes rom-com within the world of professional tennis. You know I love that shit. Um, Elizabeth Town, which bombs and which kind of gets hung on her in a way that is unfair because she didn't write that role, but like the 
the concept She's good in a terrible role. The concept of the manic pixie dream girl gets sort of hung on that film and that role of hers and it's a it's an implausible role but right she's she's giving the best she can. She's always as always so like charismatic and and magnetic in that 2006 she makes Marie Antoinette. She's back with Sofia Coppola. That is a movie that not everybody got at the time and still maybe not everybody mm-hmm. gets, but I think there's much more appreciation for it now. Absolutely. It's a really great performance. It's a really um it's very easy to underrate that performance, but she nails it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think she's so good in it. Spider-Man 3, which sort of kills the Spider-Man franchise and it probably was for the best that they didn't go on making sort of Spider-Man movies in perpetuity with those ones and with that sort of group anyway. But then yeah, after she is so embarrassing. After that movie, she doesn't really make a major movie for almost three years. She this is during that time where she ends up going to a facility to uh, treat her depression. There were rumors that she was. Uh, having substance abuse issues and she sort of had to clear those up later that she was going through this bout of depression and she went to a you know uh rehab facility with for lack of a better term for it like Mm -hmm. um and kind of her career really hasn't been the same since then which isn't to say that she her work suffered or that she's you know any less of an actress now but like that interruption in her career never really got back to the levels that she was in terms of at least like casting. She comes back mm-hmm. in 2010. She's in All Good Things, the aforementioned Robert Durst uh, film with Ryan Gosling. Gets great reviews for it. Does get great reviews for it. But that movie um, was very much a kind of an afterthought. And like people would like talk it up. Mm-hmm. It's just like this movie that we're not talking about enough is All Good Things. But like, we weren't talking about it enough and then in 2011 comes melancholia and it's this great it's probably her one of her last great leading roles i also for as much as i don't love melancholia the next year my justice for kirsten dunst movie is bachelorette which comes out the Mm -hmm. next year and she freaking rules in that and that's another one where it's two great performances two really different like vibes going on um, but yeah, she's gets all these fantastic accolades for Melancholia. And do we think it's just that like the Von Trier of it all dragged everything down and made it impossible for her to be a part of the best actress conversation once it made it past the critics awards phase? I kind of do. I mean, I don't, I mean, like you, you, we joked earlier that like this is a lot like the movie itself is uh, a stumbling point for Oscar but like I don't think if you're just talking about the performance I don't think there's anything here that's any more taxing than like Breaking the Waves was 15 years prior um so yeah I do actually think Von Trier was tainted enough yeah. Um, to keep her out of the conversation. And even to the point where, like, at that can, Melancholia was one of the, like, best-reviewed, most widely-loved movies. And, like, of course, if what they chose to award it is Kirsten Dunst, which, like, avoids having to deal with him and award the movie itself a prize. Right. But, like, and that's not to say that she's not incredible in the movie and, like, 
whatever, but, like, they were taught... When it first premiered, there was, like, talk that it would be a contender for the Palme d'Or, and, of course, it didn't. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do. we've talked a little bit about this before, and this is not to, uh, like, speak ill of any distributor or, like, you know, punch down in any type of way, but, like, we've talked before that there's certain distributors that are smaller that already have an uphill climb when you're talking about major categories um, or categories that are not documentary feature or uh, international feature. Right. That it's just, like, because there's less cash flow and they can't spend the money to, yeah. you know, host parties, send out, like, fancy screener packages. Right. Do you they feel like... Time. Do you feel like... Because this was just before A24 happened, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, do you feel like if it had a studio that had a little more muscle behind it, like an A24, obviously like a Searchlight or a, mm-hmm. even like a Sony Classic. Or at least Classics. like a brand kind of idea. Like you mentioned earlier, like Magnolia hasn't been uh, a distributor that has their own like stamp, you know? You right. know what a Magnolia movie is. Right. Um, I also just feel I, like... I do think that's possible. Like if this had been an, uh, it like a cool place for movies like uh, an A24... It would have gotten it more attention. I also just feel like I can almost envision what the narrative for her is, right? Because it is a comeback movie. Like, they could have really made some Mm -hmm. hay with that. They could have really, you know, talked about her. I mean, not to, like, advocate for, you know, film publicists to use someone's own sort of fraught mental health history. But, like, there is Mm -hmm. something that could have been made about her sort of battling through her own demons and making it out on the other side and all this sort of stuff. And and maybe, or they could have just as easily done, and like this is somewhat disingenuous because obviously she had done dramatic work before, but the narrative of this is an actress you know for superhero movies and fun comedies and look at what she's doing in this movie. That is itself yeah. a narrative that you that we've seen a ton of times. Um, but the other side of that coin is we talked about earlier in the episode about how Tilda Swinton got all those precursors and doesn't get a nomination mm-hmm. where you have a character who's not a, um, it's not that Justine and melancholia is unlikable, but she's not approachable. <laughs> like she's, uh, she doesn't invite kind of warm feelings and mm-hmm. the film ends uh much like uh not like we need to talk about kevin but like both of those films end on real fucking downers in different ways Mm -hmm. and it's a lot easier obviously we've seen this like time and again it's like barely worth you know mentioning but like happier movies more approachable movies are easier to sort of build oscar campaigns around we've seen that again and again especially for indies or it's easy for them to be packaged this is not really and i don't even know if it's that easy of a performance to like package and sell like on the performance itself for like what's so good about it and right that's i think that's something that's very true of kirsten dunst in that like she's a really fascinating really talented actress Mm. who can do a lot of different things that are uncommon um but because they're uncommon people don't notice it when they should and that's the thing that makes me worried like if she does get 
the type of role that we think that she deserves and could like get awards attention for it yeah. i'm worried that she would just be overlooked again i'm wanna, i'm dipping into sort of her upcoming projects she had been on this showtime series on becoming a god in central florida which just recently got canceled after its first season i didn't watch did you watch that show at all i don't have showtime yeah i'm, I'm going to catch up to it because i was dying to watch there's it. too much tv i would have wanted to watch it too um i think the fact that now it's been canceled will probably make me less likely to see it unfortunately just because the like giant pile of tv i need to watch it's there. Um, so she had been, that had been sort of taking up a lot of her time. The only thing on her IMDb in the future, however, she's supposed to be in a Jane Campion movie coming up soon that uh, is called The Power With of her, the Dog. Uh, handsome hubby, right? Right. Uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman anointed, uh, uh, whatever, Avatar, Jesse Plemons. Yes. Also, Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed to be in that movie. Thomas and McKenzie, who is so great in um, Jojo Rabbit, but also Leave what no was trace. the thing? Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace. So great in Leave No Trace. Francis Conroy's in this movie. Cody Smith McPhee. It's a well cast movie. Um, I want to see what the status of this is, at least on IMDb. It is said to be. Doesn't it usually tell you if it's like filming or whatever? Maybe not. Uh, it says it's in post. It says it's in post. Okay, so maybe we will see this movie soon, which would be cool. Because it's Jane Campion, I would be willing to bet that it's next year's can. Oh, that's a really good point. That's a very good point. I'm trying to see if there's a... Uh... Oh, and it's a Netflix it's a uh, Jane then Campion I rescind Netflix. everything that I said. It will not be. It won't be a can, but we'll have a better chance might, to see it. They might show it. it out of competition. They were supposedly going to show The Five Bloods out of competition right. this year. Yes. Because Spike Lee was also going to be the head of the jury. Correct. But yeah, so also I think the fact that it's a Netflix movie means there's a better chance that we'll see it sooner than uh, than later, perhaps. And... Again, I mean, whatever. I don't want to get into the whole theatrical versus at-home viewing. Obviously, a Jane Campion movie deserves to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Um, the the logline for this movie says, A pair of brothers who own a large ranch in Montana are pitted against each other when one of them gets married. So it does sort of seem like she's going to be like the woman between two men. But it being a Jane Campion movie, I have confidence that that will be it's going to be more complicated than that log line and that that her role won't be as uh underwritten as that uh, log line suggests she might be so i think there's reason to be excited for kirsten dunst in a jane campion movie i would say for kirsten dunst that the opportunity that should have been taken to nominate her and i don't want to go too far into it because we could do an episode on this movie she's amazing in the beguiled um i think she's the best performance in that movie oh go on um she's just i she's like perfectly cast for like what she's asked to do um but like and that's i know a lot of people have complicated feelings about that movie i think that it's great um i want to see it again i I feel like i didn't walk away with strong feelings about it in any direction and that seems so odd to me from a sofia coppola movie that i want to see it again Mm -hmm. um well maybe we'll eventually do an episode on it do you Um, feel like because we we uh we watched sofia's latest movie on the rocks recently a movie that you that i liked and you loved i i seem to love it 
more than most people do. I think it's wonderful. I think, uh, first of all, uh, uh, these people that are out there that are like, it's Sofia Coppola's worst movie. I'm like, okay, well, we just started this limbo game and the the bar is at the ceiling. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think Sofia Coppola has a worst movie. That's my take on no, things. It's. I, I guess the beguiled. I feel like is, is her worst be... movie, but like whatever. Like that doesn't mean anything. She makes great movies. When this episode airs, the movie will be out there, I believe. So like there'll be more opinions than the first opinions. Um, yeah. So like the conversation around the movie could have changed, but like. But my my major. I think it's great. It felt very much like the Sofia Coppola movie that in five years everybody's going to suddenly be like actually this movie's great and when it's always been great the same thing that happened with somewhere even though i was one of those people that took a while to get to the movie maybe maybe that's the opposite because i was with somewhere right away and maybe i'll be the one who takes a little bit longer to get around to and again i really liked it and i think murray's fantastic my major hang-up with that movie is i don't think rashida jones comes up to the level of where she needs to at the big, the big moments of the movie. And maybe a rewatch will change my opinion. But I do feel like, what if Kirsten Dunst in that role instead? Because obviously she's a great, you know, collaborator for mm-hmm. uh, Sophia. And it would be, would have been, you know, nice to get Kirsten back to sort of those sort of lighter comedic roots of hers that she, mm-hmm. you know, had been so good in. I don't know. That's. I don't know if Kirsten Dunst would have that kind of chemistry with Bill Murray. That's a good point, but um, might be interesting. It might be interesting experiment to check. I out. liked Rashida in the movie. I like. I genu- I genuinely like her. I know a lot, when a lot of people were like hating on her uh, as sort of like the weak link of Parks and Recreation. I really loved her in Parks and Recreation. So like, I am not mm-hmm. a Rashida Jones hater, but I. I don't know. Um, I liked the performance. Anyway. Anyway, Miss Dunst. We love her. We love her. We love her. She's great in this. She should have been nominated. That lineup is terrible. It's a weak lineup. lineup. 2011 Oscars are a weak Oscar year uh, in general. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what my... Actually, I know we're, <laughs> we've got plenty going on in this episode, but I want to bring up what my... Uh, <laughs> do we want to do our best actress ballad yeah, this year? Yeah. What if Melancholia is our longest episode? That's wild. <laughs> That'd be insane. Uh, it's not going to pass, mother. No, probably not. It's also like it's our shortest outline for an episode we've done in forever. So, of course, it'll be our longest episode. Yeah. Under our why did it fail area, it says, LOL, did you watch the movie? That was me. That was me being a Lars von Trier-esque brat. Okay. So, 2011, which I think is a great, interesting year for movies. It just wasn't reflected in the Oscars. So, I actually don't have Dunst in my top five. Maybe I should change that. I had... Well, well, all right. So I have alphabetical order, Juliette Binoche in certified copy, which is, I believe, my number one movie of that year. It's so, so good. Um, As I'm trying to do alphabet on the fly, Elizabeth Olsen in Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, aforementioned. Anna Paquin in Margaret, which is great. We've talked about that movie a few times before on here. Tilda Swinton in We Need to Talk About Kevin and Charlize Theron in Young Adult. And then my runners-up are Viola Davis in The Help and Kirsten Dunst in Melancholia. I think I would have the same ballot as you with swapping uh, Kirsten Dunst in for Tilda Swinton. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's... Wait, so it's, the, the really... The that we overlap on, like, I, I can't argue with that. I'm not even pulling up whatever outdated 
uh, document that I would have on here because I just watched cert- Certified Copy this year, and she's amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. Um, Another underrated performance that year that I don't really have on my ballot, but I wonder if I was making this list now, I might, is Saoirse Ronan in Hana, which is a very different kind of performance. It's a lot of, like, nonverbal. I do think Kate Blanchett often walks away with that movie, but, like, looking at that film in the context of everything else that Saoirse's career has become, it's a really, it's almost more impressive because really showcases her versatility you talk about like versatile younger actresses like Mm -hmm. um kirsten and saoirse could be talked about in that sort of same conversation that's true who would be your winner though charlize is mine obviously charlize is my runner-up but no she's my winner that year i should also say that i do i because i'm so freaking pretentious i have a breakthrough actor sort of little section of mine which is where i would put <laughs> adapero aduye that year for pariah not to so that's probably true she would probably be my sixth place maybe she would overtake elizabeth olsen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah it's a strong year for best actress it's why it's such a bummer that it kind of got bogged down in uh not great not as good performances that were nominated and won, much right. as I love Meryl and her speech that year. All right. Do we want to do an IMDb game, Christopher? Let's. All right. Let's do the IMDb game. Tell the kids. Tell the kids how we would do that. All right. Every week as we wait for Melancholia to smash into the earth, we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints because what does it matter? Melancholia is going to kill us all. Indeed. All right. Uh, would you like to give first or guess first? I think I'm going to give first. Okay. All right. I uh, I didn't go that far into the barrel, but uh, uh, I went with Kirsten Dunn's co-stars, and I'm giving you uh, one of her most famous co-stars, Mr. Tobey Maguire. Ah, uh, have we never done her Toby love Maguire? interest, her fellow franchise uh, cohort? Sure. Okay. All right, Toby. Well, Spider-Man has to be on there. Spider-Man is on there. Is Spider-Man 2 on there? No. Surprising twist. Okay. All right. All right. So now we traverse the Tobey Maguire experience. All right. Well, I'm going to guess, he's not the lead in this, but I'm going to guess that Great Gatsby shows up. No. Damn it. Okay, give me years. All right. That's your two wrong guesses. Your years are 2009, 2000, and 1998. 2009, 2000, and 1998. All right. So 2000. Is it Wonder Boys? Wonder Boys. Wow. Okay. Playing the... um, Sexually malleable young uh, wonderkind writer slash nutball uh, in that movie who ends up sleeping with Robert Downey Jr. It's a good movie. <laughs> All right. What are the other two years? 98 and 2009. 98. He's just a little guy in 98. Okay. Well, let's see. The Ice Storm was 97. 
What's he doing in 98? He is the lead of this movie. I'm sure he wasn't first billed because he wasn't fully famous at this point, but he is absolutely, like, the protagonist of this movie. Is it one of those, like, coming-of-age kind of a things? I mean, probably technically, yes, but that's not what we know that movie for. Oh. If we ever do oh, uh, oh. exception episodes. It's Pleasantville. It is Pleasantville. I fucking love Pleasantville. You're right. In, I, I love Pleasantville, He's too. never the person I think of when I think of Pleasantville, even though he is unquestionably the lead of that movie. Um, and he's good in that movie, but, like, everybody else around him is great. Joan Allen is great. Reese is great. Um, Macy Even is Bill great. Macy's great. Daniels yeah. is great. Yeah. Pleasantville. Is 2009 Brothers? It is Brothers. I can't we believe. did an episode on it. I can't believe. It is the first brothers. movie on his known for. Over Spider-Man 2. That's Over Spider-Man. wild. That's absolutely wild. All right. Well, I got that one quicker Who than I thought it would. do you have for me? So I went the Von Trier route. We talked about how the one Von Trier movie that I really like is Dogville. And one of the stars of Dogville, who does a great job of at first seeming good and then ultimately being one of the worst, is Paul Bettany. So gimme, yes. gimme, gimme those four Paul I was going to say, where are you going with this? Because uh, they all end up being the worst. No, but he sort um, of presents as like he's the, the, the nice guy, right? And then uh, very much not. Paul Bettany, who is in the upcoming uh, Amazon movie and Alan Ball project, uh, Uncle Frank, which I watched. And Paul Bettany is good. The movie the movie's is bad. terrible. Yeah. The movie's bad. It's bad. Um, it starts out really promising, um, but it just like really shits the bed almost immediately. Um, okay. Paul, Mr. Paul, um, is Dogville one of them? Dogville is not one of them. Okay. Um, Master and Commander. Yes. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Uh, Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind, yes. Is he the imaginary oh, one Avenger. in a Beautiful one Mind? One of the Avengers have to be on there. Um, uh, Infinity War. No. Um, no mm-hmm. Avengers movies. Um, is he the imaginary one in a Beautiful Mind? I thought there was multiple ones. Well, Ed Harris is also imaginary, but like, is he the one that was like his friend, his like best friend who turns out to be imaginary? Maybe. I just remember him being in that movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, what are my years then? Right. Your years are 2001 and 2011. Yeah. I mean, 2001 is like the era of Paul Bettany being a thing, but what movie is it? Um, yeah, Beautiful Mind Wait, is also two thousand one. As a Beautiful Mind, ooh, ooh. I will say, this is the movie that kind of launched him. Like nobody oh. knew who he was, and then this movie happened, <laughs> and then people were like, "Oh, he's he's a thing." Right. Um. Okay. He really uh, pops in this movie. He's like he's not the lead character, but like he's a supporting character who like really steals the show. Yeah, that that tracks. I just can't get to what it is. Um maybe I need to do the other year. What was the other year? 2011. 
which uh, for the year we're talking about is a real ensemble of a movie he's on the poster of it the poster has eight actors on it and he is one of them interesting he's uh, technically second build although weirdly i don't remember what he does in this movie but I'm somewhat hazy. Big ensemble movie in 2011. It's an ensemble Oscar movie in nominee. 2011 that um, nominated for one Oscar. Okay. Um, major category? Like, is are one of the actors nominated? No, but it's like the most one of the most major non-acting categories. Uh, writing. Yes. Margin call. Yes. Margin call. Good job. How did you get to Would margin not call? Rem- ensemble in the screenplay. Yeah. Good job. Um Do you want to do you want to take a little side movie. gander and try and guess the eight actors on the poster for margin call? Uh Kevin Spacey. Yes. Uh Demi Moore. Yes. Um uh, who else is in that movie? Um Tucci. Tucci. Tucci's in that Oh, Zachary Quinto, Quinto is in that movie. Yes. Uh, who else is in You're only movie? missing three because I also told you that Bettany's there. So there's only three more. One young, one old, one in the middle. Well, they're all men because there's, like, yep. this is a dude movie. Demi Moore is the um, only woman on the poster. One of them was on a famous youth focused television show one of them was in a movie that gay twitter loves but he's not a role that they love although not the role that everybody hates in this movie and then one of them is a best actor winner from the 90s from the early 90s it's not kevin well kevin costner didn't win best actor from the early 90s um who did win best actor that year Pacino's not in it. No, Pacino um, wasn't the year as Dances with Wolves. Oh, Dances with Wolves? Who won Best Actor that year? Is that Jeremy Irons? It's Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons is on that the tracks. poster of Margin Call. Um, All right. So next one. What's a movie that like gay Twitter memes constantly from the mid-2000s was a Best Actress nominee? Mid-2000s. Best Actress nominee, mid-2000s. Notes on a Scandal. Nope, but that same year. Devil Wears Prada. Yep. An actor in Devil Wears Prada that is not Stanley Tucci, Correct. the aforementioned Stanley Tucci. Correct. Uh, God, fucking um, Entourage guy. Nope, the other one. He's not in nope. the movie. The other guy in Devil Wears Prada besides him. Daniel Sanjata. Nope. See, you're forgetting that he's even a role in this movie, even though he's like pretty prominent to the narrative. Um. Uh. I know who he is, the blonde one. I just don't know his name. Simon because, Baker. Like, he's Simon Baker. Yes. He could easily be Doug Rescott to me. Um, yes. Yeah, Simon Baker in that movie is a anthropomorphized metrosexual scarf. <laughs> exactly. All right, so your last one was on a very famous uh, youth-focused television show in the late aughts. Oh, I was going to say, is this like youth-focused Nickelodeon? Nope. Um, nope. Teens. Teens and... and uh, Did I watch this show? I, You don't ever talk about it, but like... It launched some careers. I have a feeling it's going to be Gossip Girl, which I never watched. It is Gossip Girl. 
Okay, then I don't know who that is. But you know who Penn Badgley is. You know he's like a thing. Oh, is it Penn Badgley? It's Penn Badgley, yeah. Uh, All right, there's no, your margin call. I, I, I've never seen him in anything other than margin call. All right. <laughs> really? You've never seen him in anything other than margin call? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of what else you would have now that uh, he was in that television show. Did I get where the last the Paul Bettany movie? No, you didn't. You're still waiting on the 2001 one, which was his breakthrough. I don't think I know what it is. You do know what this is. I think is. I know what it is, but I don't. It's it, very stylized, it. but it's period. Uh-huh. It stars a future Best Actor nominee and Best Supporting Actor winner, who it's very sad to talk about these days. Heath Ledger. Yeah. Oh, it's a Knight's Tale. It's a Knight's Tale. I've seen a Knight's Tale. You know it, though. You know what a Knight's Tale I is. I know it. I know it as an entity, but I don't know Paul Bettany's performance. He's so He Maybe plays I Chaucer. He plays Jeffrey Chaucer. He's sort of a, sure, a sure. randy gadabout to Jeffrey Chaucer. It's very fun. Fun movie. All right. Hit cool. the two-hour mark on our Melancholia uh, episode, and now our planet goes crashing into another. So... Thank you for this. Any last? The, uh, the memes of this summer, the 911 or Chromatica 2 into 911. One of my favorites was Chromatica 2 into 911, but Melancholia smashing. Oh, God. <laughs> that is rough. Oh, I did want to, one last little tidbit. When I was going through the trivia tab on IMDb, one of the things it noted is that five actors from this movie have played vampires in other movies. <laughs> or other movies or television because it's Kirsten in Interview with a Vampire Alexander Skarsgård on True Blood John Hurt in Only Lovers Left Alive Kiefer Sutherland in The Lost Boys and your friend Udo Kier in Blade I was gonna say Udo Kier has played multiple vampires I'm pretty sure he plays a vampire in every movie he's in yeah exactly he's a vampire in this movie conceivable vampire know. Udo Kier alright Yes. All right. Thank you for a great episode, Chris. That is our episode. If y'all want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me in my little uh, tent of sticks waiting for Melancholia to uh, arrive, I guess, uh, on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the exact same way. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts' visibility, so please quit obsessively checking your telescope and write something nice about us, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Tied up and twisted the way I like to be 